The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Today, we're continuing in our Mythbuster series, which is almost over. Um, on September 15th, we will be starting a brand new series in the book of Acts. I'm really, really looking forward to that. we got some cool stuff in store for you guys for that. Really looking forward to that. And so that's kind of our normal thing is to take a book of the Bible and work through that text verse by verse. Um, but this summer, we just took a little break and we took a topical series on this Mythbusters series where each week we take some commonly held misconception, whether it be a misunderstanding or misconception about the church, about the Bible, about God, about Christianity, about Christians, whatever the case may be. And we've spent some time opening up the word and, and trying to understand where that myth came from and what the truth of the Bible actually says and then why the truth is better than what the myth is before. And for the sake of time today, I won't go down the whole list of all the different things that we've covered. There's a bunch of them. I encourage you, go online, check out some of the, the archived sermons that we have there over the last few weeks. Um, I think it's been really fun. You guys have enjoyed this. Yes? Amen? It's been a nice little break. And today we're going to hit one that I've talked about before. Um, so I almost even skipped this one because I thought, oh, I've said that before. They're going to be annoyed by doing this one before. But then I'm like... I don't know, the average person in Medford only comes to church like one and a half to two times a month anyway, so I probably missed all of you, so let's do it again, right? Uh, so today's topic, uh, it is sort of based out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, or at least that's sort of where it comes from, where the, the misunderstanding is, and the quote most often will sound something like this, you've seen it everywhere, God will only give us, or no, excuse me, God will not give us what? More than we can handle. We've all seen it. We've all heard it. Most of us have said it. Most of us have, have said those things to people in difficult times or maybe to ourselves in difficult times. And a lot of us believe that to be exactly what the scriptures actually say. So we're going to spend some time this morning looking at where that came from, look at the truth of scripture and why the truth is maybe better than that myth. And I'm going to say it's a myth usually. Let's say it that way, all right? So it's based out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Will you look at that with me? The scriptures say this, and I'm teaching from the English Standard Version. It says this, no temptation, that, that word could also be test, same word, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation, he will also prove the way or provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, I, I actually think the English Standard Version cleans that up a whole lot more to take it away from the way the myth is actually framed. But oftentimes, you'll see it framed, maybe even your translation will say more, that God is faithful. He will not let you be tested beyond your ability. But with that test, he will provide a way of escape. And so the thought process is this. When something difficult or hard comes, temptation or test, the myth says God will not send anything your way or put anything on your path or put anything on your shoulders that you are not able to deal with. Or specifically, more common, I hear it, that he will not give us more than we can handle. So is that true before you say no? <laughs> is that true? It depends on what you mean by we, and it depends on what you mean by handle. Let, let's think of it this way. First of all, what do you mean by we? If I'm saying God, cannot give, God will not give us more than we can handle, what do you mean by we? 
When Paul says this, God does not mean, hey, we Christians will be able to handle anything that God gives us. That's false. God does not say, all of you guys, God will not give we, as in us, more than we can handle. When he says we in those translations, it would be better translated or understood as to say us and God. Huge difference. Everybody understand that? Huge difference. This is not a verse talking about independency. The the text even says, doesn't it? Hey, God is faithful. Meaning, he will come through. He is common, like he is commonly there. He is to be expected to be part of this process. He will not fail you in this situation. That means he's got a part to play in this situation that he will be faithful to come through. And even more than that, let's consider some other things that Paul has actually said himself. Let's take a look at, for example, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. And look what it says. It says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's a great memorization Bible verse right there. Amen, church? Let's read that one more time. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. This is the idea. Whether it be test or temptation, grace is going to be given to you in an abounding measure so that you have no doubt the possibility or the provision to succeed. It does not say God has made you able to abound in all things and in all times and in all that. That is not what it says. What he says is in all things you deal with, God will give you grace that you may abound. That means God plays an active part in all of these things that we're doing. The grace comes from him, not us. Does everybody see that? The grace, can you put that verse up one more time? That the grace comes from him and not us. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. In any work that you are to do, God is going to give you enough grace that you will be able to do it. That's what it says. It's not that God has created you in such a way that you got this nailed. No, no, no. It's that God is so good and so able and so powerful. He will provide whatever you need for whatever it is he's called you to do. That's good news. Amen, church? It's very, very good news. Not that we can do it ourselves, but we can do it because of dependency on God and his grace. Let's look at another verse that Paul gives us also in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15.10. This is even more apparent. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Paul says, man, God's grace was not in vain towards me. And man, I I didn't take it for granted. I worked hard. I gave myself to the Lord. I worked hard. I worked harder than anybody. And then it's like he has this pause. He goes, well, I mean, uh, let's just, I better be honest. It was God's grace. It wasn't me. If there was ever a success I had in ministry, oh, I would love to point to my talents. I would love to point to my abilities. I would love to point to my work ethic or whatever the case may be. But the reality is it was the grace of God that is responsible for any success, any victory, anything that has ever happened in my life is not to be put to my credit. It is all to be put to God's. Amen, church? And you know that's true, right? 
Like, I know you worked hard to build your business. I know that. I know you put countless hours in. I know you studied harder than the competition. I know all that stuff. I know you did all of that, and great for you for doing that. But it's the grace of God that you even had the opportunity, because most of the world doesn't. You could have been one of the kids in our sponsorship program. And you would have never had opportunity. You would have been born in Uganda and your dream of business wouldn't even occur to you to have because of the reality of the world that is around you. But instead, God in his grace placed you in a place with opportunity. He gave you the intellect to be able to study. He gave you vision and the ability to see things down the road. He gave you energy. He gave you support systems. He put so many things around you that if they weren't in place, all your best intentions and all your work ethic would not have amounted to where you are. That's the reality of our lives. God is gracious and he is faithful. And that's why we give him account to those things. Amen, church? And so this is what Paul says. When we're talking about we, we're talking about we and he. We're not just talking about we. Amen, church? The second word we have to understand is handle. If we're saying God will not give us more than we can handle, what do we mean by handle? What does that mean? Does that mean no matter what comes our way, we will be able to beat it down and walk across it triumphantly? Whatever trial comes our way, though it may look dark and foreboding from the beginning, we will be able to kick it to the curb and walk in victory and in light no matter what is going on. Is that what he means by handle? I don't think that's what he means at all. In the context of this text, he's not talking about some victorious life here in the way that the world defines victory. He's not saying, hey, even if cancer comes your way, God will give you grace that you can beat it. That's not a guarantee. He's not saying even when difficulties come your way, you'll be able to prove all your skeptics wrong and show all of your enemies fame and you will walk in victory and it's going to be an amazing life. He does not promise that sort of life to us in every area. He just doesn't. In this particular context, what he's talking about is our faith. And what he's promising us is he's saying, I will enable you to bear the fruits of faith all the way to the end. Can I just say it this way? In that particular verse where that myth, if you will, is is hinged, what God is promising is not, you'll be able to defeat anything that comes your way. What he's promising is, is he's saying, no matter what comes your way, I will keep you. That's what he's saying. Whatever temptation should come, even if you fall, I will keep you. Let's consider some other texts. First first of all, let's look at Philippians 1.6. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion to the end, to the day of Jesus Christ. He's saying Jesus saved you in the beginning, started a work in your life, and he's doing a work in your life that he will complete and he will sustain that work until the day when Jesus appears again. He will keep you. Next, Romans 8.30. And to those those whom he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. Now this is a long, a lot of theological words in here, but the gist of it is this. God called you, then he saved you, 
And he is changing you now. He's doing a work in your life since he saved you. But one day, you will be absolutely perfected. On the day that you are again reunited with Jesus Christ in person, you will be perfected. There will be no more work in progress, Jeff. Jeff will finally be finished on that day. And he'll be way more amazing than he is today. And he's saying, God promises to finish that project. Unlike 80% of the projects in my home. There's some chuckling wives right now. You know what I'm talking about, right? You got some of those projects that you started with a fervor. Oh, you, you were going to paint those bathroom cabinets, weren't you? This was not from my own personal experience whatsoever. You, we'll sand them. Oh, we're going to do it. It's going to look amazing. It's going to make this old house look so nice and pretty on the inside. Let's go. And you bought the sandpaper. You might even got the little Dremel tool or whatever. And you're like, this will be a piece of cake. It's a machine. It takes it right off, right? Sanding is from the devil. Can we just say that? Right? Sanding finish off of cabinets is from the pit of Hades. It really, really is. But you started, man, and you were going, and you, you got it as good as you could, and you got those boxes painted, and then you looked at those doors, and it's got all those little engravings and things in there, and you're like, Urgh. I still got a cabinet in my bathroom right now. Doors have not been reattached. I want to say it's been there for a year and a half. Are you ashamed of me? You should be. I'm, I'm ashamed that I actually even just said that out loud, and now my wife is probably incredibly embarrassed, and so I repent for that too. But, um, but Jesus says, hey, my project will finish. And it's not because, he's not saying, and you'll work really hard, and by grit and determination, you'll get there. He's like, no, 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 God started the work, and he promises to finish the work. And when God makes a promise, is it true? Yeah. It is true. What else do we got? Luke 22. Look, this is a great one, by the way. Luke 22, Jesus talking to Simon. And he's telling Simon that he's about to betray him. He's about to lie and pretend he never even knew him. And he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, meaning to separate your faith from you, to prove that you're not real, to, to make you just like every other unbeliever out there. That's what he wanted to do. Satan wants to wreck your life in such a way that you are no longer a Christian. That's what he's saying. And look what he says. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Do you notice? And when you have turned again, it implies the guarantee of failure. But he's saying, but you won't stay down, Peter. You won't stay down. I saved you, I am praying for you, you'll fall, yeah, but you will not stay down and you will not be separated from me, I will keep you. Oh, that verse could tear me up. Amen, church? 1 Peter 1.5 says that by God's power we are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then 1 Corinthians 1.8 says that Jesus will sustain you to the end, guiltless, to the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. If there's a promise or a guarantee you want to hold to, I can guarantee you this one. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, no matter how difficult your life might be after the fact, Jesus promises, I will keep you and you will make it till the end. And that's a good promise to hold to. He's not promising us endless victory over every difficulty that comes our way. He does not promise us that we'll have our best life now. 
He promises us that we will make it to the end, that our faith will not fail. More importantly, he will not let our faith fail. He will hold us, he will keep us, and though Satan attack over and over and over and over, Satan cannot take you from him. Amen, church? That's a good promise right there. That's a really, really good promise. So will God not allow us to go through more than we can handle? Yes, if we mean God will not allow anything to happen to us that can separate us from him. Yes. The problem is that's not usually what we mean when we say God will not give us more than we can handle. And, and can I just say, like, I get it. I've said that too. Like, don't you see someone who's going through difficulty and you want to give one of those kind of promises that promises they're going to be okay? Like, do, don't you pray with somebody who's hurting and you want so bad to promise them that they're going to be healed? You ever prayed for someone and maybe it's a cancer or a sickness that has gotten so far down the line, you're even nervous about praying for healing because you're like worried, is this going to wreck someone's faith if they're expecting this? And you and your flesh looking at the situation is like, this isn't looking so good. Like, we've all been in those places. So of course we would rather say, no, that's not going to beat you. That, there's no way this is going to defeat you, man, because God will not give you more than you can handle. I'm just not sure that God promises exactly that to us. Um, there's a couple of problems with looking at it this way. First of all is this. If you're taking notes, I got like five, five things for you. If you're not taking notes, start now. A um, couple of problems. Number one, it, it's not, as we're already covering, it's not something that God said. And I don't think it's ever a good idea to promise things to people that God has not himself said. Because what it does is it sets up an expectation for God. And then when God doesn't come through, because God never said he was going to come through on that thing, it can create incredible disillusionment with God. What happens is people can walk away from their faith because of a misunderstanding about what their faith even looked like from the beginning. And it happens all the time through things like the prosperity theology preachers that are out there. Oh, believe in God and tithe and all your dreams will come true and other slightly more nuanced versions of that. So God didn't actually say it. And you go, wait, but God did say it. And so for example, and this is where you're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's look at one of the passages that would be quoted alongside this kind of thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we'll start in verse 8. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. So people will quote these verses. They'll go, hey, God will not give you more than you can handle. And don't worry, man, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. Or maybe verses like, um, we are more than champions, more than victors, more than conquerors, those sorts of things. Well, let's think about what he's actually talking about. If you look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. Important for my point coming up here in just a second. We are afflicted in every way. We are 
excuse me, we're afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed, not driven to despair, persecuted, not forsaken. Verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us but life in you. So let's think about this for a second. If we say, no, 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 God says we are, we are pressed but not broken. We are whatever translation you have for those kind of things. Here's what Paul's actually saying there. He's saying, hey, even if we die because we're pushing this gospel forward, it's worth it because you gain life. He's not saying we get beaten down but we're victorious in everything. He's saying even if I die, it's worth it. Because my death helps promote the very gospel that I'm sharing and it brings new life to you. And so it's worth it. He's not talking about comfort in this life. He's talking about actually following in the model of Jesus who died and laid his life down for us so that we might have life eternal. That's what he's actually talking about here. So we have to understand, like those verses, when we want to pull them out of context, that's why we say, you know the real estate thing, what's the first three rules in real estate? Location, location, location. It's the first three rules of biblical interpretation also. Location, location, location. What is he actually saying? What's in front of the verse? What's behind the verse? Because in this case, Paul's saying, hey, we're beat down, but we're not to despair because my own death means the gospel is still being promoted. So in that case, I'm happy to lay my life down and follow the example of Jesus so that you hear and understand the gospel. He is not saying, we are beaten down, but it doesn't matter because I'm about to live my, less, my best life now. I'm about to show these fools how awesome we are because my faith is giant and God will not give me anything I can't handle. That's not what Paul says. So we need to remember, only ascribe to God the things that God says. Amen, church? But here's some other problems that we need to think through and understand about this. Number two, it strikes at an issue of fairness. So if you say... God will not give us anything more than we can handle. It strikes at an issue of fairness. Let me give you an example. Yesterday, we were coming back from a barbecue at my house. When we got back to the house, we had leftover food and stuff in the trunk of the car. So as we were getting the things out of the back of the car, I was handing things to my kid because they're my kids because uh, they're growing up and it's about time they carry their own weight. So I'm giving them some things, right? Carry some groceries in, right? And standing next to me is Bentley and Hannah, Okay. Hannah's 15, black belt in Taekwondo, right? Bentley is eight and like 60 pounds ringing wet. And so here they are standing next to each other and I'm pulling things out of the back of the car and I'm gonna turn and give these things to these guys. And I have in my hand a bag with like potato chips and I have a watermelon. So what do I do with them? I turned around and I looked. I gave the watermelon to Hannah, not to Bentley. Why? Well, I want the watermelon to make it inside <laughs> in one piece, right? And I know Bentley, and he's all boy, and I love it. He would probably try to dribble the thing or something. I don't know. So, so I, I give the watermelon to bigger, more responsible Hannah, and I give the bag to Bentley to carry them in. And that's kind of the mentality that we take when we adopt that, 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 uh, that myth that says, God will not give us anything that we can't handle. It, it, it's this, God will treat us fairly. Everything in life will treat us fairly. 
and something unfair won't come to me. I won't go through something that is above my pay grade or above my ability to handle. It'll always be within my grasp and within my ability to handle because that's how the universe works. The world is going to be fair. <laughs> right? Right? That's not how the world is. The, the world is broken and fallen and often unfair. And this is just the reality of it. And, and when you take that mentality, then someone can be like, why would God make me go through this? And, and then we try to pump them up, right? Oh, God must just really think a whole lot about you because look what he's given you. I, get out of here with that garbage. Like that's, but, but you're ascribing a level of fairness to the different things that go on. And not only do we see things through glasses dimly, we don't understand all the things going on anyway, but that's a really bad place to put ourselves in a place of judging God as to whether he's being fair or not. You do not want to go there. Amen? So, it strikes at an issue of fairness. And then number three, along those same lines, it places God as the direct cause of everything that happens. All you Calvinists in the room, put your seatbelt on for just a second. <clears throat> it ascribes to God blame or cause for everything that takes place. And the reality is, it's just a fallen, broken world. If you say to someone who has cancer hey, God won't give you more than you can handle. The, the, the uh, unintentional thing you're saying is God sent you this, but he knows you can handle it. I don't know that I want to say that about God. That, that could create a really dark narrative about God, for, especially for people with maybe uh, newer understandings of who he is or those who are newer or more immature in their faith. But the reality is this, the world's just broken. It's a broken world with a lot of calamity and a lot of difficulty, and I don't want to go the route of every little storm that comes our way, throwing a phrase out there and unintentionally saying, God sent you that. Part of it's just life in a broken world. Amen, church? Life is hard. It's been guaranteed to us. Number four, to say, God will not let you go through more than you can handle puts all the emphasis on our ability and on us. It says, you can handle this. God knows you got this. And he's back distant watching with a big smile on his face. And, and that's just not it. We, one of the phrases that I've said many, many, many times here, you guys probably know, as I've said, God raises kids differently than we do. We raise kids to be independent, to be able to go do their thing, to not need us anymore, to some degree, right? That's not what God does. The closer you are to God, the more you depend on God. God raises his children to be more dependent on him, to walk closer with him, not to go, I got this, but to go, I need your help with this, more and more and more. And to use that phrase, you're actually telling someone who's going through difficulty excuse me, going through great difficulty, hey, you're awesome. God has given you abilities and all these things. You don't even need God. You've got this. When someone who's actually, if you will, if I can use this phrase, and I, I'm doing it nervously even as I say it, but someone who is awesome in their faith, someone who is growing in their faith with God is not the person who doesn't need God. It's the person who realizes they need God more than they've ever needed God. Amen? So when we use that phrase, it separates us from God. And then number five, it forsakes the importance of a fatherly relationship. So it's along those same lines. So, so also this week, um, my daughter Allie 
who's our in-between daughter. She, she'll be 13 here in a month, which it breaks my heart even saying that. Um, my daughter Allie got sick this week. And uh, we were all supposed to go up to Portland for a uh, memorial service for a family member. My father-in-law, Vern, who's here, his brother passed away. And, and Vern and I were actually going to do the, the ceremony kind of together for this memorial service up there. And then Allie got sick, and she had a high fever and a sore throat and all this stuff. And so I ended up having to stay home. Vern did the service on his own, which was, praise God, that was clearly what needed to happen in that situation. And, and Bronwyn, because it's her uncle that had passed away, her and the other kids went to the service. So, so dad and Allie stayed home. So in Allie's sickness, you know what actually happens with me because I'm there with my daughter in her sickness? It's a bonding moment. Like, it's an opportunity for me, and I don't, I don't want to go dark. I don't want, be careful how you share this with people. God gave you cancer so he can hang with you. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, not what I'm saying. But there is a fatherly relationship that exists with God that even in going through difficulty, God draws me closer because for all the attributes about God, the one thing that we tend to not emphasize enough that might be the most emphasized attribute of God, maybe short of his holiness in scripture, is that God is a relational God who loves his kids and wants to be with them. And to say God won't give you more than you can handle not only says you don't need God's help, you got this, but in going through those difficult times, God actually calls us and says, hey, cast your anxieties on me. Seek me. Bring your worries to me. Why? He's desiring closer relationship with us as we go through difficulty. And throwing that line out there, even though our intentions are good, does not inspire more closeness with God. It actually inspires you got this, you don't need God. And and church, listen to me here. If you, if you miss anything, hear this. God loves you. God desperately wants to spend time with you. God sent his son to die for your sins so that you might have relationship with him. And when he says, pray to me and start by saying, our father, he means that. We are adopted into his family, and as a good father, he wants to have relationship with his kids. And every one of us as fathers has watched our kids go through difficulty that we know we can't shield them from because we know it's for their good that they go through it, like shots. Like you can't be, you're not a good dad. Oh, this is dangerous, isn't it? Ooh, I just realized what I was walking into, didn't I? Not immunizations. <laughs> Whatever the case, just roll with me on this one, medicines, okay. <laughs> but you could say, no, 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 don't have any of that. But the idea is like you're, you're trying for their good. You know they're going to hurt. You know they're going to be going through pain. But your goal is their good on the back end of it. So what do you do instead? You hold them. You tell them it's going to be all right. You encourage them. You speak to them. You dry the tears off their face, whatever the case may be. Your relationship becomes really important. And when you're the kid who's crying because they got the shot, what's more comforting after that shot happens than being in the arms of mom or dad? And that's what God wants. So don't tell people they got this. Send them to God because he desperately wants to have relationship with them. That is his, his goal. It's the whole point of all of these things. Now, what do we do with all this? So, Heritage, please. <laughs> Here's the thing. You're, you're going to see somebody going through difficulty. 
And you're going to see something on Facebook or something, and it's going to say like, oh, I lost my job, and I don't know what to do, and oh, I just hope I got this. I'm just praying for help. And, and you're going to see someone else quote underneath face. They're going to do their comment under there, and they're going to go, don't worry, you got this. God won't give you more than you can handle. Please, church, do not go false. <laughs> don't do that. Especially don't go, Pastor Jeff says, false. <laughs> okay? Do not do that. <clears throat> you can wield the truth in moments that are so heavy and so, in your quest for truth, we can come off as spiritual bullies when the goal of all of our interactions in those moments is actually comfort, isn't it? It's comfort. But it's good for us to know the truth. It's good for us to have understanding so that when we are comforting people that are going through difficulties, we can do it in the right and most effective way. Amen? Because <clears throat> in those dark moments, for most people, it's hard to feel God being present, isn't it? And I, I'm using the word feel on purpose. Because when, especially when they first hit, you feel the tragedy, you feel the difficulty, you feel the firing, you feel whatever the thing that happened to you, you feel all of that, and you're looking for feelings like peace and love and joy that we associate with God most readily, and you're not feeling those. And so what our mind wants to tell us in those moments is that the difficulty is real and God is not present, because we're being mostly informed by our feelings in that moment. Is that true, church? And so we get the opportunity to come in and remind people, not in a judging way, because they're dealing with emotions. We're emotional beings. That's okay. But we get to come alongside them and remind them of the truths that Satan wants their feelings to block. Truths like this one. When Jesus went to the cross to bear the burden for your sin, he carried it all. What I mean by that is he didn't go, how much can Jeff handle and how much should I take? And then from then on, Jeff, you're able to handle the rest. And you know, I wouldn't give you more than you can handle, so you'll be fine. Hang in there. No, 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 no. Jesus took 100% of my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and he bore it all on the cross for me. He already dealt with the biggest problem I will ever have in my life. There is no problem left that will ever even hold a candle to that. Go read the rest of Paul's writings about my light affliction when he says the difficulties we face right here, these are nothing compared to the eternal glory that God has for me one day. Those are the truths that we know that people don't feel when tragedy comes, but when we're aware of them and we want to encourage people the right way, you can come around them and you can remind them like, listen, God saved you and paid for all of your sin. Do you really think that God would die on the cross for no reason to let you fall? Even if he carries you straight into eternity, it's gonna be the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. You can remind them of these truths of a loving God who guarantees he will not let his children fall. And when Jesus went to the cross, never forget, he carried them all. He didn't leave you to do your part. Praise God, amen, church? He carried them all. And number two, because of that cross, because he did that, he's given us himself. So remember, our sin separated us from God. We were on our own. It was about what we can handle. 
And because we'd been separated from God, God sent his son to carry the guilt of all of our sin so that we might be reunited with Christ and adopted into the family of faith. And because of that now, he says, he does promise things like this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. No matter what you feel right now, I'm there. I'm with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Amen, church? Maybe the best thing you can remind someone is even when they don't feel it, tell them, God is here. He's with you. He loves you. He is present. And then the third thing is this, is that Jesus is putting everything back together again. See, I actually think that hope that we have that wants to say to people that it's going to be okay no matter what, that part of us that wants to say, God's not going to give you more than you can handle, you're going to be fine, I actually think the roots of that are divine. I, I think it's, it's something that we are longing for inside every single one of us, and we see somebody hurting, and we want to say it's going to be okay, and we, it's because we know things aren't right now. We know things are broken, but because of the cross of Jesus Christ, he's putting everything back together. He, he's not just saving us, but he's saving the world. He's redeeming everything, and there will be a day when there will be no cancer. There will be no tears. There will be no unfair firings. There will be no loved ones dying too young. There will be none of those things. You know what there'll be? There'll be peace. There'll be joy. There'll be fulfillment. There'll be fellowship. There'll be uh, uh, agreement with nature, agreement with one another. There won't be, face there won't be Facebook fights, people. <laughs> there won't be. Like it, it's, that's not going to exist. Because he, he didn't just, and I, I tell this to people all the time, like your gospel definition is usually too small. Don't just say he died for our sins. He died to save you and to fix the world. And he's putting all things back together again. And the only reason he hasn't done it yet is there's more people out there that he's still trying to save. And so that's where we can come in like Paul and say, you know what? So our afflictions right now are worth it. It's worth it. Because the difficulty we're going through right now allows the gospel to keep going forth and ministering to other people. It's worth it if even death still being around in the world right now causes me to die at a young age because as the gospel continues to go forth, someone else maybe right next door to me is going to be saved. Maybe even because of my death and the testimony that I leave behind, they're going to find Jesus and life is going to continue because of them. So in that case, us like Paul can say, Man, I, I will bear this body of death. I, I am fine with this. I will, I will happily emulate the gospel of Jesus who died so that I might be set free. That we can say, but we can say it with great, great hope saying, but one day, oh, church, one day. Amen? Like, one day? You ever remember that? Like, one day. Man, one, one day. I, I saw an Instagram post this week. Someone said, August is the Sunday of summer. You guys get that? I laughed. No one else in here did. August is the Sunday. You, know you know what I mean by that? It's like it's the weekend. You're like, it's Sunday. But it's also, it's Sunday. Then we go back to school tomorrow or we go back to work tomorrow. And August is kind of that. Like, oh, summer is here but about to end. And, but just everything has an end now, doesn't it? All joy has an end. All those things have an end. Even yesterday at the barbecue, we were watching the dogs are running around playing, the kids are running around playing, and I said to a friend of mine, I was like, 
this is all fun, but sooner or later there's tears coming because these dogs and these kids running around the way they are cannot coexist in this space. There's going to be a collision. And, it's, and we're even making them, we're doing the math. Is it worth it? I mean, they're having fun now. We'll just leave it, I guess. We'll just leave it. Sure enough, bam, <laughs> it all happened, right? It happens all the time. But one day, church, one day, there'll be no more weeping. There'll be no more cancel. There'll, there'll be no more difficulty. There, there's going to be none of those things. And you know what we're going to have is Jesus will be here in the flesh. We will be made perfect. It's going to be amazing. Point people to that. That's our best life now, right? And we will endure whatever life we have to deal with now to help get more people to that. Amen? Amen. So be gentle with these words. Be encouraging to people with these words. Don't go be like, don't start those ministries where you're like proving everybody wrong and everything they say. What do they call those things online? Uh, Jeremy, what's that called? Online discernment ministries, don't you dare start one of those things where you're just like, you're just running around like some watchdog trying to prove everybody wrong. Don't, don't do that, don't do that. Use them to encourage people better and to love people better. Amen, church? At this time right now, we're just going to, informed by that gospel, we're going to worship God. We got just a couple more songs. I, please, don't, don't leave early. Take an opportunity, man, just to worship Jesus, to sing Take your difficulties to him. Maybe you're going through some stuff and you need to go to him right now and you, you have opportunity now to worship him in spirit and in truth, to pray. If you need prayer, man, tap someone's shoulder next to you. Say that you need prayer. There's opportunity to worship in giving. Some guys are, uh, the guys and gals will come forward. They're gonna be passing the basket around. That's to be able to give as an act of worship to God and, and, and to us giving is just more opportunity for us to spread the gospel further. So we invite you to be part of that mission with us. But worship the God who loves you, who died to save you, who has adopted you, who has good things for you, and who is putting all things back together to be with us. Amen, church? So God, may you just take this time, Father, may you be glorified in our worship this morning. May you encourage those that are in this room and make us better encouragers of those who are not. And I just thank you for this reminder of how good you are that you are there for us. You will give us grace to go through anything that we need to. You will not allow us to be separated from our faith. You have paid the price for all of our sin and you are putting all things back together. Thank you, God. And so as we think on these things, God, we worship you in Jesus' name. Uh, the brothers and sisters are gonna come forward and receive the offerings. After that basket goes by, I man, just stand, kneel, worship, sing, but spend some time with Jesus this morning.